All right, friends, let's do it. Let's keep on going. We are in episode number four of the Grace Basics uh, talk series. And you know, when I first envisioned this, I really thought I was going to do eight talks on it. Uh, I had notes like right here in my little notebook. I use these, um, it's, it's really odd because, you know, most of the stuff I do is digital, right? On the website, emails, uh, a lot of content creation videos, courses, all of that. But m most of the stuff, that I create, it starts off on paper, and I still prefer that when I'm studying, when I'm writing, um, just like that. So that's what I've got, that's what you'll hear flipping around is the notes from that. When I mapped it out, I envisioned it was gonna be eight talks, but I'm looking, and here I am at the end of what would have been talk number two, meaning I should be on starting three, but I'm here starting four. So it's it's kind of taken a lot longer than I thought, but I'm but I'm enjoying it. So just so you know, I don't I don't know that that really matters. <laughs> okay, here's what I'd like to do is uh, direct your attention down to the show notes as well. There is some information there for you about the identity ebook and the identity course. That is really, in my opinion, your next best step from the Grace Basics. Also, there is a link to the ebook. Uh, and the paperback for purpose. Um, I really believe, and one of the things I've taught is that grace not only saves you, forgives you, reconciles all the clutter of the past and the present and covers the future, but it's that grace that also walks you into the plans and purposes that God has for your life. In fact, that grace also gifts you to perform at a level that far out exceeds what you could do in your natural capacity. Uh, we refer to that sometimes as supernatural gifts or spiritual gifts uh, in kind of the church world. Uh, that is part of grace too. And so what I would invite you to do is if you're wanting to kind of take a deeper dive into your identity and who you are, is the next step for you would be following the show notes to the identity ebook and the identity course if you really want to find and fulfill your purpose and go, hey, I think I've got the identity thing nailed, uh, go into the purpose. If you pay the shipping and handling, I will send you the book in the mail and you can get started. And it's got links to videos and all kinds of things you can follow in that book with QR codes uh, that'll take you to some hidden stuff on our website where you can just watch it, stream it, and uh, keep taking your next steps. Got a lot of free stuff hidden inside that book. That book is just a springboard. It is a trampoline. It is a tool to lead you to more. All of that is there. Now, in the previous episode, here's what I said, is in order to understand what God is like, you look at Jesus. Uh, Jesus himself said he is the perfect representation of the Father because he only does what the Father is doing. He only speaks what the Father says. He only uh, came to, uh, if you boil it all down, reveal the Father and take us to the Father. Now, now there are all sorts of other things that happen because of that, but that was the core message, is to reconcile us to the Father and then to reveal the Father and take us into relationship with the Father. So what I want to talk about in this episode is maybe a few misnomers that we have. I think I've got three of them right here. Just one, two, three misnomers that we have about what God is like 
And we know that God is not like these because we look at the example of Jesus and Jesus is not like these. Uh, let me tell you what, what I mean. Let me start breaking it down here. Uh, number one, what God is not like because Jesus was not like this. So God, I don't believe, causes sickness. Or let me say it this way. I don't think, I don't believe that God causes sickness, illness, and disease. Now, I've heard people say uh, that God does. I've heard people say before that God gave me cancer or God chose me for this disease. Uh, sometimes people even link it to punishment. Now, for sure, uh, you know, I think that it's, oh, goodness, and you want to be so tender in the conversation right here uh, because sometimes people really believe that and they're going through something that's incredibly difficult um, as they believe that. But I don't believe that God causes illness, sickness, or disease. Um you know, if you look in Matthew 8, 16, it says uh, he cast out the spirits with the word. And so it talks about something that he's doing related to uh, spiritual oppression. And he healed all who were sick. Jesus healed all who were sick. You never see Jesus walking into a city or a town and saying, hey, you know what? These people didn't believe me. And so I'm going to inflict them with a sickness, illness, or disease. You never see him looking at somebody and saying, hey, you did this wrong, and because you've messed up, as a punishment for what you've done wrong, I'm going to give you the sickness, this illness, this disease. Sickness, illness, and disease always seem to come from other places. In fact, when you look in the New Testament, you find three. Number one, sometimes... Sickness comes from Satan. Not always, but sometimes. In Luke 11, there is this episode where Jesus is walking, and on the Sabbath, he's walking through the temple, through the synagogue area there. He sees a woman who's hunched over, like her back is just, it's just bent, like she can't stand up straight. And he goes and heals her, and the scribes, the Pharisees, the religious elite are all angry because he has worked quote, healed someone on the Sabbath, which violates, oh, you got to honor the Sabbath. It violated their rule, their version of the Sabbath. And Jesus says, wait, on the Sabbath, if you had a donkey that fell into a ditch, I, you would help that donkey out. Why then, on the Sabbath, should I not assist this daughter of Abraham who has been afflicted by Satan for 18 years? That's the phrase. Why should I not help this daughter of Abraham? Answering the question, is she in the faith or not? Absolutely. So can Christians be possessed? No. Can the enemy come against you? I do believe so. Should I not assist this daughter of Abraham who has been afflicted not by the Savior, not afflicted by God, but afflicted by Satan, 
And it's been lasting this long season. And notice, she's in the synagogue, and this is going on, and and nobody there's caught on. Like other people have likely tried to explain it away, or other people have likely thought, hey, this is just our lot in life. We just need to tolerate this and accept this. And Jesus goes for healing. Uh, Sometimes I believe that, number two, sin can cause sickness, illness, or disease. Uh, Let me tell you where I get that. In John chapter 5, there is a man at the pool of Bethesda. He's a lame man, and he's just sitting there. And Jesus looks at him and says, hey, do you want to be made well? And he says, well, I I do want to be made well, but every time the water stirs, someone else jumps in before me, and so I can't get there and be made well. Now, what he was referring to in that moment was they believed that at the pool of Bethesda, uh, that occasionally an angel from heaven would come down, stir the waters, and the first person that was in the pool after the waters were stirred would be made well. And so the sick, the infirmed, gathered at this pool, just waiting for stirs, boom, first in, healed. Apparently, this regularly happened because... People continued to gather there, and if no one was healed, if it never got a result, you get the idea that no one would stay there. People were going there and gathering because it worked. And so when Jesus got there, Jesus didn't correct him and say, hey, you know what, that, that's not a thing. <laughs> that doesn't work. What are y'all doing? That's, don't waste your time. Jesus says, do you want to be made well? And then Jesus, despite the man's excuses, well, I can't be because he heals the man. Maybe a pause for a footnote. So many times people say that if you don't have perfect faith, God can't heal. But here we have a guy that he's excusing away. You know, you never have a tight formula that you can create about faith in the New Testament. Sometimes Jesus heals people who don't have faith like this man who excuse it away. Sometimes he heals people and commends their absolutely great faith. Sometimes he heals people based on like in Mark chapter 2 when the friends drop a paralytic man through the roof. It says that he saw their faith, the friend's faith, and so he healed the man in front of him based on someone else's faith entirely. Sometimes there's a mix of faith and lack of faith. You know, like the guy who had a demon-possessed boy They kept tossing him in the fire. And Jesus said, I can heal him if you believe. And he said, I do believe, but help my unbelief. Okay, so Jesus heals this man, not because of his great faith. (laughs) He heals him overlooking his excuses. And then Jesus bumps into him a little later and he says, go and sin no more lest something worse happen to you. That's in John 5, 14. Now, what does it mean? Does it mean that the sin caused this? I I don't know. I I do know, however, that sometimes we do reap what we sow. You know, back in the, like, uh, goodness, you know, I always hate to pick up, like, lightning rod issues that are controversial. 
But I was watching some documentaries this week. A lot of times I'll sit here and I'm mapping out stuff and I'll just have a documentary going in the background, just kind of like noise. You know, that's why I'm able to work in a coffee shop a lot of times is because just some background noise. And so I was watching a documentary about the 80s and it was talking about the AIDS epidemic and them saying, certain televangelists, that this was God's wrath on a certain community. And you, you say, yeah, I, I, I don't... I don't see God inflict people with illness and disease as wrath. Now, I do see certain natural consequences happen because of certain things you do. You know, you go shoot up certain drugs. You, you, you know, you might catch something through the needles. You, you know, you drive drunk. You might have an accident. You make bad decisions. Is that God's fault? Or is it reaping the result of something that you did that you can actually logically say, you know what? Yeah, that's the natural consequence of what occurred. I don't know. You know, it's so much more complex than the simplicity that we usually give it. So what causes sickness? Number one, sometimes in the New Testament you see Satan causes it. Number two, sometimes you see sin can cause it. Number three is just kind of what I would say this collective something else. Meaning, we don't necessarily know. Uh, there's a story in John chapter 9 when two of the disciples see a man that had been born blind. Jesus heals the man. And the disciples say, um, who sinned? <laughs> so that's our second category, right? Who sinned to cause this man to be born blind? Was it him or his parents that sinned to cause him to be born blind? Now you presumably go, well, um, how could that kid sin when he was in utero, that therefore the consequence of his sin was he'd be born blind. You know, or did his parents do something that caused this? And so often, like I've been there where you see parents having a child and something's wrong. Is this our fault? And Jesus in that moment, he doesn't say, oh, no, you silly disciples. Sin and the actions that you do, they can't cause consequences. No, he says, no, 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 no. Neither. This is just a situation in which God will break through and demonstrate his glory. In other words, God didn't cause it, but somehow God can use it. Uh, one of the thrusts of the New Testament in Romans 8 particularly is that God causes all things to work together for the good for those who are called according to his purposes who love him. God causes all things to work together for the good. It doesn't say that God causes all things. It doesn't say that all things are good. Some things are horrible. They're tough. They're even, even evil. Yet in the midst of those things, this is just kind of the something else category, right? Of stuff. Those situations can somehow work together for something bigger, better, broader, bolder, deeper. You see, when we read the New Testament, we never see an instance of Jesus causing an illness. We see him always healing. And you could even think about it like this, you know, if Jesus, if God causes sickness, illness, disease, why go to the doctor if he caused it? 
Why pray for healing if he caused it? There's a story in Mark chapter 3 when the Pharisees go up to Jesus and they say, by the power of Satan, he's casting out demons. In other words, they were presuming that Jesus was using an evil force to cast out an evil force. And he says, no, 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 no. A house divided against itself cannot stand. This is the finger of God casting out these demons. And here's what I'm saying. If by the power of God someone is sick or ill or diseased because God intended it and put it on them, why would we see Jesus heal it? Why would we pray for it to resolve? Why would we seek help for it if it was God's will for us to have it? You see, just questions. And I get it, you know, like you have to be so tender when you're talking through some of this stuff and really processing it. But in the New Testament, we never see Jesus calls sickness. Therefore, I don't believe God, our Heavenly Father, causes sickness, illness, and disease. It's, it's much more odd than that. Sometimes it's the result of being in a fallen world. Sometimes it's a result of on this side of heaven where there is no sickness, there is no illness, there is no disease. All the causes are removed and he wipes away every tear from their eye. On this side of heaven, things aren't going to be perfect. We contend for it, we pray for it, we hope for it, but we know that even in that tension, we don't always have the answer. And therefore, we have to be okay not making one. That's hard. Second thing that we don't see Jesus doing in the New Testament, we don't see him causing storms and natural disasters. Now, uh, here's one that we often see happening in the world around us. And we go, oh, that was an act of God. Even insurance calls them acts of God. What's interesting, though, is in Romans 8, Paul says that creation right now groans and moans waiting to be renewed and restored because it was subjected to futility at the fall. And creation is waiting for the revelation of the sons of God somehow inferring that our redemption and our walking it out is linked to everything being restored. Now, I don't know that I've ever heard a sermon on that. Acts 3.21 talks about the restoration of all things. Uh, Leviticus 18.27 talks about the land being defiled because of what we've done on the land. Like somehow we attribute it to God, yet you think, well, who sinned and caused this whole thing to kind of just run amok and jump the tracks? Like us. God's in the business of restoring all things, not wrecking things. We, We were, arguably, the cosmic wrecking ball. And so why storms? Is it because God's zapping us with something or he's inflicting something? No. It's the result of a fallen world. What caused it to fall? Us. 
what causes it to step back into freedom for which it was designed somehow when we step into what we were designed for. You see? Uh, throughout the New Testament, Jesus never caused a storm. In Scripture, he always calmed storms. Ah, there's this one instance even when the city of Samaria, it rejects uh, the gospel. It rejects Jesus and his disciples. And James and John, who were known as the sons of thunder. You know, wouldn't you like that nickname? Sons of thunder. Maybe like inferring like, hey, you just got this from your dad. You're just carrying this on. Why it, the apple, this is plural, apples, didn't fall far from the tree type thing, like chip off the old block, chips off the old block. They actually say, hey, do you want us to call fire down on Samaria? Like, do you want us to punish them with some cosmic storm that actually has backup from Scripture in the Old Testament? Because we do see fire rain down on Sodom and Gomorrah. We do see Elisha call fire down. We see Elijah call fire down as well. So they, they've got Bible verses they can use to back this up. And Jesus says, nope, that's of a different spirit. We don't storm things to punish. We call. Third thing. Uh, we don't see Jesus cause struggles. Again, often I see people attribute to God sickness, illness, and disease. Storms, meaning natural disasters. And three, struggles. The things that are trying and testing that they're walking through. John 16, red letter, Jesus actually says, in this world you will have trouble. It's almost like a definitive that, again, on this side of eternity, things are not going to be perfect. They're not going to go as planned. You know, that Murphy's Law, if it can mess up, it's going to mess up, is 100% into effect. Yet, okay, back to that tension. All things work together for the good. It doesn't mean all things are good. It doesn't mean all things are caused by God. It means all things, even the struggles, are a setup in which God can do something supernatural. I think about chaos that we face, the struggles we face, bankruptcy, foreclosures, failed businesses, Jacked up partnerships, divorces, getting backstabbed, addiction. Ah, you know, you know, raise your hand, been through that? We've got the scars, the war wounds, the t-shirts. I don't believe any of those things that I've been through. I can look back at all those. And in the moment, you want to go, oh, God, come on, give me a break. But then you get hindsight and you go, you know, I know almost exactly what was going on in that situation. I know. I know a lot of that was a result of my own action. I know a lot of that was a result of others' actions where they just did something wrong and it affected me. Like I was kind of, you know, the victim of what they did. Would, again, other people have been the victim of stuff I've done. And in a lot of those situations, it was kind of a tangly mess of I was wrong and they were wrong and somebody else was wrong and it just was this cluster. We, we live in a fallen world where on this side of heaven, things won't be right. It doesn't mean that we don't in, contend for righteousness, for wholeness. 
The truth is, when we face those circumstances, if we find a way to anchor to something bigger than the circumstance, something more true than the situation, something more eternal, and we're not so tossed that God can and will shape us through those scenarios. And we will emerge stronger, maybe scarred for sure, um, deeper, maybe hurt for certain, but with this ability to comfort others with the hope that we've received, which is what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 4. You see, does God cause sickness? Does God cause storms? Does God cause just these chaotic situations and struggles in life? I don't believe so. Why? Because Jesus shows us exactly what God is like, and Jesus always did the opposite. And you think about the character of God. You think about the nature of Jesus. The truth is you can only give away something that you have. You can only impart who you are. He doesn't have sickness in heaven. He doesn't have storms in the kingdom of God. He doesn't have struggles in the throne. Those things don't exist there. It's the thief that comes to steal, kill, and destroy and so my suggestion to you is to not assign to God things that don't exist in heaven. Don't attribute to God things that don't reflect his character. Don't create a tidy answer where we don't have one. Just be okay. Even though it's more difficult to live with the tension of not knowing. I close you out with this story from the Old Testament. In Exodus 33, 18 through 19, uh, there is this episode where Moses is talking with God. The scripture tells us he knew God face to face as a man knows another man. He saw his countenance that closely. And at this one moment, Moses actually said, here's what I want. It's Exodus 33, 18 through 19. Show me your glory. And, and here's this is so beautiful. Here's how God responded. He said, I myself will make all my goodness pass before you. Show me your glory. Okay. What does that look like? Goodness. I will make my goodness pass before you. Show me your glory. I will make not sickness. Show me your glory. I'll make not storms. Show me your glory. I'll make not struggles and situations that absolutely God can use all of it and does somehow. In the economy of heaven, the toughest, roughest stuff that we would avoid becomes the absolute platform where somehow he helps us refine our purpose. And he brings us into closer relationship with him and into a deeper fullness with the Holy Spirit and into a depth with each other, and with ongoing stories of support that we can impart comfort and hope to others. But it's all laced in his goodness. Right? What's God like? Well, 
He's joy. We talked about that a few episodes ago. What's he like? Well, he's like Jesus. We look at Jesus to see what he's like. We talked about that in the previous episode. What's Jesus like? Well, Jesus was good. Jesus didn't cause sickness. Jesus didn't cause storms. Jesus didn't cause struggled situations. In fact, he mitigated, restored, redeemed all of those. What's God like? He's like Jesus. He's good. My prayer for you as I sign off is that the Lord would bless you. He'd keep you, be gracious and shine such favor upon you. May you be like Moses. And when you say, Heavenly Father, show me your glory. May you see not sickness, but healing. May you see not storms, but a certainty amidst the chaos. May you see not struggle, but may you see a situation in which God is going to work all things together for your good and the good that you're going to impart to others as you comfort them with the comfort with which you've received, even though we don't have tidy answers. May you feel that he is for you and he is good. Grace and peace. I will see you again soon.